0: On the prequel to the 30th episode, we're still learning to grow up with Harry Potter and previewing The Goblet of Fire. Hello and welcome back to the prequel to the 30th episode of This Film is Lit. We're back on the good mics. Should be mostly from here on out, but we'll see. Like I said in the little entry roll pre-roll, whatever I want to call it, uh, cold open. We're uh, we're learning things with this film is lit. We're kind of continuing our our trend of growing up because Mm. the books continue that trend. Mm -hmm. So we're going to expand on that and keep going with that. And then we're going to preview Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So let's get into learning things with this film is lit.
1: No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Yeah, this is, um, it's continuing... What we talked about on the prequel, The Prisoner of Azkaban, because the movies really start to grow up with number three and the, and the books do a little bit, but it really, really sets in with book four. So I could talk at length, I think. Yeah about how Goblet of Fire starts exploring darker themes mm-hmm. and ideas in a deeper, more consequential way than the first three books. Yes, even book three. Um, and I, But I feel like we already kind of discussed that aspect of the stories in mm-hmm. the Prisoner of Azkaban prequel. Yeah. And really what the big difference between three and four is in that aspect is that Rowling effectively retcons a lot of the dark stuff in book three with the time Turner.
0: Yeah, yeah, like Buckbeak dying and yeah. Sirius uh, potentially being uh, his, having his soul sucked out.
1: Yeah, and that doesn't happen in book four. No, right. No um, so Cedric stays dead. What? Stop bringing up the first <laughs> child. Stop it.
0: Okay. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't
1: read to. that. And I don't uh, want to. It's
0: a nightmare. Don't read it. But anyways. <laughs> It's just funny to point out that you say that because
1: <laughs> isn't that's like the whole point of of it, isn't it? Like that's yeah. the main yeah like it, thing Amos, that they're trying to do.
0: Harry's again, I don't remember. A lot of it because, I, like I said, I tried to black it out immediately. But uh, from what I remember, Harry's son, uh, whatever his dumb name oh, is. Oh,
1: Albus Severus. Albus
0: Severus. God. Um, decides, he because he's living in the shadow of his father, the thing he's going to do to prove that he's just as good, if not better, than his father is save the person that Harry couldn't, which is Cedric Diggory. I think ultimately he ends up not saving him, but he... Spins the whole book trying to, I think. I can't remember. It's, I, like right, I said, I but don't. But, like,
1: why Cedric? Because a lot of other people died. Like, save Dobby. Yeah,
0: but Cedric Hedwig? was, like. Well, it, Well, part of it is, yeah, lots of people. But part of it is because Amos shows up in the book and is very, like, guilt, like, not guilt-stricken. It's very, um, like, angry mm-hmm. about and, like, um, upset still. Mm-hmm. At this point, about the fact that Cedric died, and basically because of Harry is the re like not 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 that it's Harry's fault, but that it is as a result of Harry existing sure. that Cedric died. Basically, okay. all right. Um, so he's very resentful and sort of uh, yeah. Again, if I'm remembering this any any of this incorrectly, don't blame me because I I I don't want to remember. It. So let's, let's all agree.
1: right. So that was our uh, review yeah. of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Thanks yeah. for coming, everyone. Yeah.
0: We'll have to talk about it someday, but not
1: (laughs) not now. Let's go. Continue. All right. So instead of rehashing the kind of increased darkness of the books in book four, um, I want to talk about some key differences Mm -hmm. between children's literature and adult slash young adult literature and how Rowling uses those differences to shift her story out of the children's section effectively. Yeah. So children's books children's book series tend to not be inextricably interconnected. Um, Oftentimes, you can pick up any book in a series, read it on its own, and still understand what's going on and enjoy the book. For example, Mm -hmm. Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: They can be read out of order, and you can still understand them enjoy them yeah and in fact most people start with the lion the witch and the wardrobe and if you put them in chronological order as they are often sold that's actually book two
0: when you say chronological do you mean as they are written or as they take place
1: as they take place okay. because so it was, lion the witch and the wardrobe is the, the first, first written right but if you put the whole series right. in the order that they take place yeah. within the story it's book two gotcha okay a lot of children's series are also syndicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Magic Treehouse. Yeah, I love that series. The oh, Babysitter's goodness. Club. The Boxcar Children. The events in those series technically occur in a certain order, yeah. but the books can be read in any order. Yeah. You don't have to start with Christie's big idea in order to understand the ghost at Dawn's house.
0: Yeah, and just to play on this a little bit, this is also a bigger thing in older television. I, mm-hmm. I think this is just, it's it's sort of changed. I think it's a thing in adult Fiction obviously is more um, serialized. Yeah. Um. But it's also a trend with the times to some extent because a lot of older television was uh, episodic. Yes. Where you could watch any like like most of the Star Trek television. It's one of the, my go tos for this example. There there are there are things throughout the series that go from point A to point B, but there, it's very loose and it's more of character stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are there are plot elements. Through, you know. But.
1: I almost brought that up yeah. because I, I saw the difference there in, like like, sitcoms and yeah. dramas. Like, yeah. sitcoms tend to be more episodic. Like, you can watch an episode of a sitcom out of continuity. You can, and, yes. And, still, more so. and more so and still enjoy it. Like you might not know what's going on 100% of the right. time, but it's still enjoyable. It's yeah. still watchable. Whereas with a drama, you can't really do that as yeah. much.
0: And I think, but I think it's also more just a, 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 a t- I think I could be wrong about this, but I really do feel like, and it seems to me, and again, this is anecdotal, but it feels to me like it is also a, a product of when those things were written. Mm-hmm. Like if you compare a sitcom from the nineties to a sitcom from today,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Parks and Rec is a sitcom and Seinfeld is a sitcom. Seinfeld episodes are much more independent and episodic yeah. than Parks and Rec is. There are very much there are there are much stronger through lines and and character arcs and um uh like season long story arcs yeah in Parks and Rec than there are in Seinfeld true and so I I again I am sure there are examples in in across the timeline of sitcoms back in the day that had more arcing storylines and ones currently that don't but to me it it feels a bit more like we're we're slowly progressing more and more and more towards um or or we have been progressing more and more towards and, and, and 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 audiences seem to enjoy more uh serialized stories Mm -hmm. where you tell a a continuous story over the course of episodes even if it is slightly episodic at the same time like like a Rec, where again you can watch and maybe
1: that has to do with like the rise of the dramedy i don't know yeah
0: i think it has to do with that i also think it it probably has a lot to do with to some extent maybe binge watching uh is Mm -hmm. part of it Mm -hmm. to some extent and streaming um whereas with tv when you couldn't you didn't have on-demand let-me-watch-these-episodes-in-order. Mm-hmm. If you weren't watching it the night it came out, you probably were catching random episodes to some extent in right. syndication. Right. I would imagine that might have something to do with it, whereas now, it, it, since it's on-demand, since you can watch it in order, it it makes more sense for writers to tell a story in order, maybe. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know what I mean? I yeah. don't know. It's a guess. But anyways, yeah. I just think that's another element of uh, <laughs> what you're saying. But I, I think it is a, a very important that Yeah. Children's books. That is definitely right.
1: Children's books tend to be more episodic than any other um, age range of literature. And the the factors that make that type of storytelling possible um, include formative recaps at the beginning of each book. Yep, which um, Harry Potter is guilty of. Yes, reintroductions <laughs> of characters, sometimes even well-known primary characters. <laughs> yeah, which Harry Potter And is. insular storylines that are completely resolved by the last page, a.k.a. not introducing new information yeah, near the end of no the new book. No things, it's just yeah. we wrap it up. So young adult and adult book series tend to not be written this way. Obviously, there are going to be exceptions to the rule, yeah, yeah, but they tend to not yeah. be written this way. Um, you try picking up Return of the King without having read Fellowship or Two Towers. Yeah. Or better yet, maybe try reading A Clash of Kings without having read A Game of Thrones. Yeah. See how that goes for you. It's gonna be rough. <laughs> uh, unlike children's literature, adult and YA lit utilizes elements like cliffhangers and open-ended meandering plots They typically don't recap at the beginning of each book or reintroduce characters. And if they do, it's usually a bare minimum recap, like just enough to allow readers to reorient themselves in the world. But typically, adult and YA trust their readers to remember the characters and to remember the plot.
0: Because your brain is more formed and you can remember things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So all of this to say. Yeah. The first three Harry Potter books can be read more or less on their own mm-hmm. without much detriment to understanding or enjoyment. They feature recaps. They feature reintroductions of characters. Which is something we talked
0: about in all of our episodes yes. so far that I forgot <laughs> was a part of the yeah. books. Probably because when I was rereading them every year, I was a dumb little kid or not a little, you know, I was 11 or whatever, 12. Right. And so it didn't hit... Sh- stick out to me as much because it helped me when right. i was well being it reading. helped
1: you and you were used to it yeah because right. a lot of children's literature right. does that yeah
0: yeah
1: um and they also featured insular storylines yeah and i want to take a minute to pause here and define insular <laughs> i'm probably saying it wrong
0: and i always said it or pronounced it insular In- but insular I, 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 I either way seems reasonable
1: insular? Um, because I, I I think that's probably the most important element here. Mm -hmm. So when I say insular, I mean something along the lines of contained or enclosed.
0: I assume it it shares a similar root, Latin slash Greek root with inside. I don't know about
1: inside, but nerd alert, it comes from the same Latin root as island. Oh, no man is an island, but some books can wow. be. what an epic
0: line. <laughs> I would imagine all of those share a similar, because inside, probably within, yeah. you know, I, all of that. Probably. Has,
1: yeah. But that starts to change with Goblet of Fire. Um, it does feature a recap. Mm-hmm. It's also the first book in the series to not begin no. with that recap. First, no. uh, the first chapter doesn't feature Harry at all, no. which is another departure from what we've become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that recap until around page 20. Now compare that to books two and three, whose recaps begin on page three and page one, yeah. <laughs> respectively. Yeah,
0: The thing I noticed as I'm rereading four and I'm about... 250 pages in right now um is that even the even though it hits it starts hitting recaps the two and three their recaps are very much like here's a paragraph or a page yes uh recapping what hogwarts is what wizards are harry's backstory Mm -hmm. all that stuff whereas four it's like every time we hit a little plot element that needs to be you know like it's like a sentence or two reminding us yeah. about like we're talking about quidditch like when we get to the quidditch world cup and there's like two sentences about like quidditch is the most popular sport in the wizarding world yeah and then we move yeah. on like it's
1: goblet of fire's recaps are worked in much more naturally yes, it feels in the first two three books
0: obtrusive yeah
1: yeah uh goblet of fire also doesn't have an insular storyline and it is the first book ...that does not have this.
0: Three is, I would I would counter say three teeters on the edge.
1: Three teeters on the edge of a but, lot but of it things. It does, but, it, but it doesn't. But it doesn't. So the main conflict of Goblet of Fire is the Triwizard Tournament. Mm-hmm. And that is resolved yeah, by the end of the book. But then Rowling does something new. She starts on a brand new conflict right before the book ends... Which is the plot line of Voldemort's resurrection yeah. and eventual return.
0: Yeah, he's back. What, what's going to happen? Now? Yeah.
1: yeah. So if we compare that to book three, the main conflict of Prisoner of Azkaban is that we're misinformed about who Sirius Black is yeah. and what he's all about. But by the end of the book, we've answered those questions and we don't really get any new ones. No. Um, I mean, Sirius has to go on the lam again, and we don't really know what's going to happen to him, but that's not much different from not knowing what's going to happen to Harry after the book ends. And perhaps most importantly, we do hear from Sirius right before the end of the book, so we know that he and Buckbeak are at least relatively safe.
0: Yeah, I guess my only, and I guess all of them apply in this sense, the reason I say it teeters is that Sirius is a very important recurring element within the next books. And now, to be fair, uh, Chamber of Secrets. Once we get to seven, also has a very yeah. important part yeah. that we weren't aware of until you know what I mean. That yeah. we weren't aware of how important it was until we get to six or six, I guess seven, probably. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it it teeters, and it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely not the same as four, where it's we have all this, this brand new open like holy, yeah. holy shit, yeah. Voldemort's alive is back. What's going to happen? And
1: now. to me, like too, one of the main things that makes the storylines no longer insular is that in *Goblet of Fire*, they frequently discuss the happenings of *Prisoner of Azkaban*. Right. Whereas that hasn't really happened before. No. Like they no. don't ever really discuss what happened in books one and two in and three, They're- which is and, and that's always something that was kind of funny to me. Yeah. Like you would think at some point one of them would be like, hey, remember that time we played giant death chess? That was weird, right? Yeah, you're right. But they don't do that. They don't ever go back to the previous adventures. There's
0: only ever a couple lines where like in three, there's a couple times where Harry it's not even him saying it. It's it's uh, us in his head. Yeah, you know the narrator Harry says something about he's he's thinking or talking about Jenny to us, or mm-hmm. you know as a narrator, and says like, "Oh, she was possessed last year." Like, there's a yeah. line or something yeah. about her being. Uh, possessed by Voldemort. Not possessed, but quote, whatever. Whatever the right term right. is for it.
1: To the effect that it feels more like part of that recap yeah. than any Yeah, kind it really of, is. Yeah, yeah, any kind of acknowledgement by the actual characters no. that, hey, this stuff happened. No. Yeah. But with Goblet of Fire, they actually do discuss amongst themselves... Oh, yeah,
0: constantly. ...things I mean, that happened
1: in previous books.
0: Because, yeah, like we said, uh, Sirius is a pivotal character yeah. in... In this one and five. And then not anyone's after that spoiler.
1: (laughs) And uh, Goblet of Fire ends similarly to the first three. We have everyone on the train going back home for the summer. But instead of leaving us with... This adventure is over, and we will see you at the start of the next adventure. We're left with a bunch of brand new questions to consider. Will anyone believe Harry's story? What's going to happen with the Daily Prophet article? When will Voldemort show up again? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's not an ending. It's another beginning. And in fact, because J.K. Rowling is often pretty on the nose, the last chapter of The Goblet of Fire is called... The beginning.
0: <laughs> when I read that, I, I, like, I was like, <laughs> what?
1: I love her, but she is a little on the nose sometimes. But you
0: can do that when you're writing for kids. Exactly. they don't get it. Yeah. I never put that together. <laughs> I never thought about that. I literally, because I haven't finished, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm a, a third of the way, a quarter of the way through the book right now. And when I re- when I was reading through your notes earlier, and I saw that, I was like, "Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit!" <laughs> but yeah, it, it is. Like, yeah, it's on the nose.
1: Kill Bill sirens went off in your yeah, head.
0: It was like, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah.
1: but also, aside from these kind of plot type elements. Uh, Goblet of Fire is also the first book in the series to feature any kind of romantic subplot beyond just thinking that somebody's cute. Yeah. And yeah, that that does tend to be more of an adult or young adult thing than something you'd find in a children's book. Yeah,
0: obviously, yeah, <laughs> whole puberty thing. Yeah, that yeah. whole
1: that whole puberty thing puberty that happens thing. sometimes. Yeah.
0: And this is and, and just for to recollect, they're fourteen in, yes in this book, so they're right, you know, on
1: the they're they're right there, right in the
0: smack dab in the middle of the hormones. So.
1: Ugh, God, you couldn't pay me to go back to fourteen. <laughs> so to sum up. There are three main elements that take the Harry Potter book series from children's literature to young adult literature, which are, one, a deeper, more consequential exploration of dark themes and ideas, two, a less repetitive, less insular story structure overall, and three, forays into romantic subplots. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. You learned a thing today. You learned
0: a thing. And we're still growing up with Harry Potter. <laughs>
1: As we did, as, as we, did. we as we as did, we
0: both did. Yep, as we absolutely did.
1: And you know, there was such a gap between the Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix uh, Harry was older than me when I read the Goblet of Fire. And I, was like, older I was than like, I was like eleven when... when this came out, and I yeah. know I think no, I had caught up. I had caught back up almost. I think by the time uh, Order of the Phoenix came out, yeah so i was just as angsty (laughs) just
0: as angsty, man and oh boy is order of the phoenix harry angsty (laughs) which is something we'll probably talk about in the next prequel episode yes all right let's move on to harry potter and the goblet of fire book facts
1: i'd like to make an announcement hogwarts castle will not only be your home this year but home to some very special guests as well. Book facts. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire published July 8th of the year 2000.
0: Man, these came out this first four came out real fast.
1: That's, like. that's the year my little brother was born. Yeah. He's 18 now. RIP me. <laughs> um
0: so like the first the first four books came out like one a year? Yeah. That's nuts. I know. That's Especially why that, the they're so much is, shorter. Well, but the, the fourth book is not that much shorter than the rest. No,
1: no. The fourth book is really the long. The fourth but book is
0: like the third longest? Second longest? I mean, longest? maybe
1: she was already working on it yeah. when... Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah, I'm just saying it's crazy to me how, but, how quickly yeah, no, those that, first four came that out.
1: It came out. It was the year my little brother was born, and I remember that. I mean, not just because of the date, but because... I re- my mom had to go to the hospital, like, in the middle of the night mm-hmm. to have him, and I remember sitting up at my grandma's house reading, reading this book. Goblet of Fire. <laughs> yeah. um, so in the last prequel episode, we mentioned that The Prisoner of Azkaban was the last book in the series to be published separately in the UK and the US, which means that Goblet of Fire was the first book to be released simultaneously mm-hmm. in both countries. It was also strategically released on a Saturday, so that kids didn't have to worry about any conflict between school and buying the book. There you go. Which, to me, sounds more like parents didn't have to worry about any conflict between work and buying the book.
0: Yeah, that (laughs) seems much more... uh, Yeah, for sure that was how it was going. (laughs) 11-year-old me wasn't making my way to the bookstore to buy a $40, $30 yeah. hardback <laughs> copy of Harry Potter by myself. Come book six or seven, I was. Yes. But book, yeah. book four, yeah. I was not. I was 12 at the time.
1: So. Um, the pressure to get the book out on time caused an editing mistake. A lot of people have heard this one, I think. Um, it's a continuity error. Which shows uh, Harry's yeah. father emerging first from Voldemort's wand. However, as confirmed in Prisoner of Azkaban, James died first. So then Harry's mother really ought to have come out, come out of the wand first. Yeah. This was corrected in later editions, but it's a fun way to check which edition you have at home. It's more fun than looking at the copyright page it's anyway. True. So. That's true. <laughs> Um, here's a fun thing that I didn't know until I started doing this research: the working title for *Goblet of Fire* was *Harry Potter and the Doom Spell Tournament*, which huh. sounds like a Mad Max movie. That's a
0: terrible, yeah. Triwizard's a awful. much better idea <laughs> yeah. or a much better name for. I was always I was I always remember being surprised, even as a young kid, as I after I read it, like, why wasn't it called *Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament*? <laughs> But yeah.
1: Well, I can explain that actually. Yeah, um Rowling said in an interview, I changed my mind twice on what the title was. The working title had got out Harry Potter and the Doomspell Tournament. Then I changed Doomspell to Triwizard Tournament. Then I was teetering between Goblet of Fire and Triwizard Tournament. In the end, I preferred Goblet of Fire because it's got that kind of cup of destiny feel about it, which is the theme of the book.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's the theme of this book. I mean, it, it's it's a element it, of the book. Yeah, yeah, and, and sort of the, the destiny is a theme of the series. Yeah, so
1: it's at least one of the themes yeah. of the book.
0: But I, I do agree that I, while I did think that why wasn't it called Harry Potter and, the, Potter and the Triwizard Tournament, I agree that Goblet of Fire is a like a, a vaguer like yeah, it's, it's, it's or more vague or vaguer, more vague, um, <laughs> like. uh, Enticing title, yes. Like it Goblet of Fire. Is. What does that mean? Whereas Triwizard Tournament's like okay, it's a tournament of like you, like. There's more information you can kind of suss out yeah. and figure out. But yeah. like Goblet of Fire just is more general or generic, in a good way.
1: Rowling has also said that Goblet of Fire was the most difficult to write at the time. I feel like she said that about every. She single said that one. about everything. And yeah. the
0: hilarious thing to me is that that seems insane because it, uh, or that seems silly because. um, she wrote it so quickly <laughs> relatively speaking we just discussed that these came out yeah. like one per year yeah. almost or and 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 then from here on out they took a lot longer which makes me think well then again if she said that right after this book came out then at the time it right. was the hardest probably right well yeah
1: it, it was the, the most difficult to write at the time yeah, is so then, the, yeah. the quote that i found um Because she noticed a giant plot hole halfway through writing, Um, no word on what that plot hole is. Hmm. But uh, in particular, she had trouble with the ninth chapter, The Dark Mark, which she supposedly rewrote lucky 13 times.
0: Here's the thing. I didn't know this. Literally, even because I didn't read through all your notes until just now when you said that. But as I was reading that chapter Mm -hmm. the other night, I was like, this chapter is the most... Because I remember talking to you about how because we were discussing, uh, kind of briefly discussing how much the movie changes
1: mm-hmm.
0: specifically from this chapter. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is like the inciting incident. Yeah, the inciting incident times infinity in the sense that like it's like twelve inciting incident. It,
1: it gets the ball rolling on like everything. That's what I
0: mean. But it, there's so many characters and there's so many facets to what happens in this chapter, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's like. It reminds me of the movie Clue, like when the when the lights go out, because it is kind of they're in the dark and they're in the woods. And, you know, like when the lights go out and then a million things happen and then the rest of the book is like, let's figure out what happened in that. Thirty seconds while the lights were out, and then the mm-hmm. rest of the book is, is Tim Curry running around yelling things like. Uh,
1: <laughs> that, that is a stunningly brilliant analogy, right?
0: because uh, that, that's what sort of reminded me of. It's like because it's like as I remembered what the plot of the book was, I'm like, this chapter is insane, and in hearing the fact that she rewrote it thirteen times does not surprise mm-hmm. me at all because it is. So complicated and there are so many elements and so many things going on. So many
1: moving parts. So
0: many moving parts that I was like, holy cow. And so that's actually really interesting hearing that she rewrote it that many times because I would imagine you would have to to write something that uh, important to the rest of the story of the book.
1: And it doesn't surprise me either that I think we've said every single time that she had said it was the most difficult to write so far, because I feel like you would feel that way as you were writing them. So I'm interested now. I'm going to try to look for it when we get to the end to see if there's anywhere where she definitively said this one, this one was was the hardest one to write.
0: If I let's guess. Let's just make okay, a prediction okay. right now. Let's be Professor Trelawney. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my if I had to guess which one I thought was probably the hardest to write, I would think it was probably it's either four five or six. Right. I think seven's pretty not easy, but you know where you're, you, once you've written all of the right, lead up, You're, you're know there. You're there. You're just yeah. wrapping it up. Um, it has hard elements, but you know what you're what you're doing. I, my guess would be, I wouldn't be surprised, I actually wouldn't be surprised if this was the hardest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, four wasn't the hardest one. It, it, for me, it would be between four and six.
1: I'm going to put my money on five. Yeah, I
0: because could see any five's of five's kind
1: of a behemoth.
0: It is. That's the thing, it's, it's long and there's a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. So I, I could see that too. I guess for me, four is that it's the start of the yeah. actual, yeah, like we it's said, the it's the beginning. start. It's the beginning. it's it's yeah. the
1: start of the actual story of the
0: story, and then six is the the prelude to the ending. So I could mm-hmm. see that also. Mm-hmm. You have to set up your finale, which yeah. I feel like could be difficult. But five, I could see our I can see where you're coming from, and that five is like you said a behemoth it's huge and it's there's so many things going on and we have so many different storylines and so many different elements and and we're bridging the beginning and the and the penultimate Mm -hmm. books i i could see any but i would bet it would be one of those three i would bank i'm gonna bank on four but I think five is okay, a safe I'm
1: going to bank on five. Okay. Watch and us we'll both never, be wrong. Watch us not
0: be able to find her safe. I will
1: tweet her <laughs> tweet and at see her. if I can get her
0: to reply We're to me. we doing a podcast. We Please. have to know which book was hardest for you to write.
1: So Goblet of Fire received mostly positive reviews. hmm uh some critics pointed out that the story lagged in some places, especially near the end, when both villains stopped the action to monologue for a bit. Cause that does happen.
0: Yep. Uh It also happens in two though. So. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that is,
1: that is true. And arguably in three. Yeah. Uh but we've been led to believe that Sirius yeah. is the villain. The at, whole a time time think, yeah. at the time where we think he does monologue. Sirius monologues end.
0: like a motherfucker, and we think he's the villain at the time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's definitely
1: uh all those villains always monologuing. Even Quirrell
0: does it a little he bit. He does he does do yeah. it a little bit, yeah. yeah. Because here's the thing, she her books are all mysteries. Yes, and yeah, so they you are. have to explain the mystery Yeah you have
1: to You have to have Tim so, Curry at the end yeah, Explaining what exactly. happened in the 30 seconds in the dark <laughs>
0: Exactly <laughs> I feel Like I said I feel like I've nailed that analogy But <laughs> yeah it, it, it is It is, and, and so I get it And this is also we'll get to it in the movie facts But I'll, I'll put a pin in that For the movie facts okay, About have, it being a mystery I have one more book fact
1: yeah. Which is that the Goblet of Fire Was the first and only Harry Potter book To win a Hugo Award it also won the 2002 Indian Paintbrush Book Award and an Oppenheim Toy Portfolio Platinum Award. But the Hugo is the big deal. Right.
0: Yeah, it's a big one. And we've, we've discussed several Hugo-winning yes. novels, books, before on this podcast. All right. Well, there are your book facts. Let's move right along and wrap this up with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire movie fun facts. Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event. The Trey Wizard Tournament. And now, the champion selection,
1: Victor Kroc, Fleur Delcour, Cedric Diggory. <laughs> Harry Potter! How did you do? I didn't put my name in that cup. I don't want eternal glory.
0: All right, so I have a handful of uh, movie fun facts here. Uh, 2005 film, so five years after... The movie release, or the book release. Yeah. Uh, because this, this is when they started taking a little bit longer. Like we said earlier, they moved to an 18-month 18, 18 production cycle mm-hmm. for between two and three, and they might have gone even f- longer between the rest of them. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I didn't see that in any of the research I was doing, but I wouldn't be surprised if they moved to like a two-year production mm-hmm. cycle. It is the first book or movie in the series to be rated PG-13. Which makes on sense. Up. Yeah, which makes sense because it's the first one where somebody dies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was directed by Mike Newell is the only film in the series that he directed. They wanted Alfonso Cuaron to continue directing, but he decided he only wanted to do the one.
1: Oh, he, had, and one of, he had other things to do.
0: Well, it was, I, part From what I read, it was partially he had other, he he just wanted to do the one. But also he was still when they wanted him to when they came to him to say we want you to do four he was still doing post-production on three and, oh. and was like <laughs> sort of like no
1: like harry potter overload
0: yeah like i'm not even done with this movie <laughs> like get somebody else <laughs> um so they got mike newell who who had been in talks to direct one of the films since the very beginning he's a british director who mm-hmm. worked with children and and, and done action adventure family type stuff mm. so uh, he had been a popular choice among the producers, uh, and so they finally worked them into one of them. I thought this was interesting because uh, I've mentioned before that, uh, from my memory, this is the film that I found most objectionable mm-hmm. while viewing it the first time when I saw it in theaters. And I may have only seen this movie once because I remember being like, "I, I can't believe they changed that! I can't believe they changed that! I can't! Mm-hmm. That's not that's not like it was in the book. Why would they change that? How dare they change that?" I remember that being my experience and not liking the movie. And so I think I've only seen it once, maybe twice. But uh, I saw them in theaters. I saw all of them in theaters when they came out, obviously. But So uh, uh, Steve Kloves, the guy who wrote all of the movies and is still writing Harry Potter. He's been writing Harry Potter since the beginning. He's still writing Fantastic Beasts. Um,
1: What a trooper.
0: On adapting the 734-page book (laughs) into a feature-length film, he said, we always thought it would be two movies. We could never figure out a way to break it into two. So we're like... We're going to have to make it a different experience from the book. Yeah. Because they wanted it to be two movies, but they couldn't figure out how to make it two movies, and it just, ultimately, the movie, uh, the studio decided we're going to make it one movie.
1: Mm.
0: And so, which is the thing, the thing that's interesting, and and at the time, five would have been out by now, I would think. Would have had to have been by 2005.
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: there's no way that the distance between four, and book four and five was f- six years. It was, like, two or three years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So five would have been out by now. So they would also have had to know that if they make this two movies, how do you not make five two movies?
1: Right. And then you have to make six two movies. And at that
0: point, you're going to assume that none of the rest of the books are going to be any shorter than four or five. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you go from a seven movie series to a one, two, three, five, seven, nine, eleven movie series. And so they're like, okay, we're going to make these all one. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, they ended up deciding to make it one, and and, and that's why it's so different. Because, mm-hmm. like we've discussed, cramming 734 pages into two and a half hours... You're
1: going to lose things. It's impossible.
0: Yeah. It's just impossible. Uh, really interesting thing about the production, each task of the Triwizard Tournament required gigantic sets, because they're obviously all huge set pieces. Mm. Uh, the rock quarry for, for the first task, uh, the dragon challenge where Harry faces off of the Hungarian Horntail, was mm. built in two sections at studios. And it was one of the biggest sets they've ever built for any film, uh, according to their production designer. The second task involving the underwater scenes, they filmed in a giant underwater tank with a blue screen behind it so that they could uh-huh. CG in the background, basically. Mm. Um, and it's the, I believe I read it was the second biggest Or it was among the biggest water tanks ever constructed for a film. The Abyss, the movie The Abyss, is, like, the largest ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is up there in, like, the top ten, top five biggest water tanks ever constructed for a movie.
1: You know, it almost makes me wonder, because I feel like this is something that I would do if I had wildly successful books that were made into movies. And they were, like, going to keep making my books into movies. I might just be, like... Let's see what they can do. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't think so. I think JK, I think she wrote, told the story she wanted to tell. I don't disagree. I, uh, but also. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, Daniel Radcliffe, uh, obviously, who ha- plays Harry Potter. He uh, by himself logged 41 hours, 41 hours and 38 minutes specifically underwater during the course of filming. All specifically just for that second task.
1: That's so many. That is hours. an
0: insane amount of time underwater.
1: Ugh, I hate um, being underwater. He was
0: underwater so much that he ended up suffering two ear infections. Well, yeah. Over the course of filming, and at one point during training, he inadvertently signaled that he was drowning. <laughs> uh, gave accidentally gave the signal that he was drowning, which I can't remember what it is for diving. Hand on your head, I think is I'm okay, or that might be I'm drowning. I don't know. I've seen it before. I don't remember. Uh, like where you pat-, pat the top of your head, that's uh-huh. something in in diving. But that I can't
1: seems like a I'm okay. Yeah, I think kind of that's I'm
0: okay. So then I don't. But remember I don't what know. But anyways, so, so
1: nobody take my word for that. So anyways,
0: he, he inadvertently signaled he was drowning, and there was a gigantic panic, and they all brought him up to the surface, but he was <laughs> he was fine. <laughs> and then for the final task, it took place as ob- it Obviously, takes place in the giant uh, the hedge maze. Uh, and the hedges, they built actual hedges from 20 to 40 feet tall. And then they enhanced it all with CGI, obviously, because the hedge the hedge mage does all kinds of nonsense yeah. in the movie, yeah. which I, we'll talk about. When we get <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. The hedge mage is where I had a lot of problems. This is a really interesting fact because I wasn't aware of this. And apparently the director of this movie wasn't aware of it. Mike Newell was not aware that Alan Rickman wore black contact lenses for the role of Snape. What? Until one day he was talking to Alan Rickman and said, hey, really like your eyes are an amazing shade for this character. And Alan Rickman leaned over and pulled out his contact (laughs) lens. (laughs) I had no idea that he was wearing... I camera. didn't
1: either. I guess I
0: did because when I think about back to him in uh, like Die Hard and stuff, he, uh-huh. his eyes are I think brownish uh-huh. maybe or green. But yeah, they're not black. They're not black. <laughs> they're not black <laughs> so. Uh, so the Yule Ball obviously is a big part... Of, not a big part. It's a it, But it's a big set piece yeah. of the, of the yeah. book and of the movie, uh, the big Christmas dance to, or around Christmas. Uh, and all the kids in it uh, they had to train for like three weeks for the dance because they do like a big you know like a yeah, like, a, like a a ballroom ballroom dance, dance yeah uh, and, but Daniel Radcliffe I assume because he was so busy with the rest of being Harry Potter <laughs> <laughs> that he, he only had time to train for several days um <laughs> Yeah.
1: Think he's supposed to be bad at it anyway, yeah. isn't and he? It,
0: and that's what it does. So he didn't have as much time to train. Uh he only had like 4 days to prepare mm-hmm. for it. So they they routinely only filmed him from the waist up and not show <laughs> his feet. But they talked he talked about he I think he talked about in interviews after the fact or or at some point during production is like It would have been fine because Harry Potter, famously, is not a good dancer. Yeah. You know, not famously, but it's it's a point in the book that Harry doesn't know how to dance. And so he's kind of clumsy. And they could have just rolled with it. But they they were like, oh, we'll just film you from the waist up.
1: I would have rolled with it. (laughs) I would have not given any of them training so they could all be bad dancers.
0: Yeah. And now this is where... I'm a little bit disappointed because we discussed earlier that they the original idea was to split the film into two or the book into two films, mm-hmm. and so supposedly it was the director himself, Mike Newell, who do, who decided against the idea of adapting the book into two movies because mm-hmm. he thought I can cut enough of the book's bulky subplots to make it a workable film. Which is probably true. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see on rewatching mm-hmm. if I feel that way. Uh, and apparently, Afonso Cuarón said, "Yeah, yeah, do that." <laughs> Cut it, make it one movie.
1: So Alfonso Cuaron was like the devil on his he shoulder. He shares
0: a little bit of the blame in this. <laughs> a little bit of the blame. And I think it's a little rich for the guy who who, who uh, adapted the 300 or the 400 page book to yeah. tell the guy who adapted a 750 page book, yeah, do it in one movie. I did it in one movie. <laughs> yeah, it was 300 pages shorter. It was half the length almost right. of my, my book. But yeah. Uh, This is the last film uh, in the series that featured a lot of uh, scenes filmed at Oxford, which a lot of the earlier films, uh, the courtyard scenes and stuff like that. A lot of that kind of outdoor type stuff was filmed at Oxford and it informed Hmm. a lot of the architecture of Hogwarts, Mm -hmm. including the Great Hall. So this is a fun little thing. If you're rewatching the movies with us and I want to look out for this because I'd never noticed this and I thought it was interesting. Interesting. At around the hour and 45 minute mark, uh, there's a scene with Dumbledore and Harry in his office. And they're at mm-hmm. the pensive. Mm-hmm. And if you pay close attention, there's a glass cabinet uh, when Dumbledore approaches explaining what the pensive is. And in the top left corner of that cabinet, you can apparently see a 3D model of the Deathly Hollows.
1: Interesting.
0: Which would be an interesting inclusion. Yeah. Which, again, I, we, we didn't do the research here to see what books were out at this point. Yeah. Like if six was out at this point.
1: I don't think it was.
0: I don't think it was either. Which they're not. Is it mentioned even in six? We don't learn about it until That's seven. Definitely do we? Mm-hmm. It would have been close. You know, six no. might have been out at this point because. Well, not when during production, maybe, because if this was filmed during that, it came out in 2005. If it was filmed early 2005 or late 2004, uh-huh. because book seven came out in like 2007. I was in high school still. Yeah. When book seven came out. Yeah. So that was like 2007. So six might have been out around 2005, 2004.
1: It might, yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: So, but, but, he, so, so well, d- at least if nothing else, J.K. Rowling would have, by 2004, 2005, would have known where she was going. Yeah. And would have, yeah. Could have, could have gone to them and be like, Deathly Hollows, that's a thing I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, that's what happened because it's in the movie.
1: I mean, they they think they they start talking about some of the Hollows in book six, but I yeah. don't think we ever. And I could be wrong. The, well, the, I don't I don't think they ever actually say Deathly Hollows until seven. No, we,
0: and that's because like we get the whole backstory and everything yeah. in seven. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I don't know. But yeah, so clearly J.K. Rowling came to them and was like, "This is the thing I'm doing," and and they came up with the design for it, or mm-hmm. she had the design, I guess. Probably she probably came up with the, the well, symbol. So, I would so, imagine. I mean
1: the the gist that I get is that she always knew where exactly it was going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew she. Yeah, I've always heard that she knew ultimately, kind of like the the rumor always was that she had written the last chapter. Uh-huh. Like, like during the first book or something like yeah. that, like she knew how the book was, the series was going to end. Now I don't know if she knew as specific down to like the Deathly Hollows, or if she just knew Harry confronts Voldemort, Voldemort mm-hmm. uh, kills Harry, but Harry, you know, kills the part of him that's in Harry, and then Harry, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, she, if she had like that kind of vague idea of what she wanted, sort of like the yeah, that's or if she had like those specific elements nailed uh. out or not, I. We'll get her We'll get we'll, uh, we'll we'll get J.K. on for a chat, and yeah. we'll ask her. <laughs> she must have done interviews like this, where she must, she have, must have interviews out there where yeah, she just she explained her, you know, work. how much she I knew just, when. And,
1: I, and I've and I've mentioned probably in the prequel, the Sorcerer's Stone. It, it, it's a, a level of pre planning that I cannot even begin to comprehend. No.
0: no, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 a kids' book that is on the level of. It's a little different, but it—I I would say—the pre-planning and the elements she plants early on are on the level of stuff like Game of Thrones yeah. and and Lord of the Rings. Whereas that, those are more expansive worlds with like huge backstories. Right. That this doesn't necessarily have as much of. Um, but this one has so many little elements throughout yeah. that you had to pre-plan. That is kind of crazy. That all ties in, right?
1: And like, in the like, same like way I guess the thing that's insane to me is that like she pre-planned so much stuff, and then years down the line, when she's actually writing the later books, it's still works after all of the editing and everything it all still works it like it blows my mind i'm like how even i don't know anyway brilliant.
0: that's how (laughs) brilliant she deserves you know of all the millionaires in the world she deserves her money (laughs) all right a couple a couple more little quick things uh henry cavill mr superman himself auditioned Mm. for the role of cedric diggory
1: That would have been interesting.
0: Ended up going to Robert Pattinson, uh, who replaced, actually, because Cedric Diggory is in Prisoner of Azkaban, because in the first Quidditch game, they play against uh, Hufflepuff, and Mm -hmm. Cedric Diggory is the seeker, and in fact is the one who flies up and gets struck by lightning, so we actually see his face, because he's the seeker when they're both flying straight up, Mm -hmm. and he was a stunt actor, he wasn't like a... Mm. So it was a stunt actor, and I can't remember his name. But they replaced the stunt actor with, you know, an actual yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actor, uh, and and Rob, and it was his first movie role. Robin Pattinson, who ultimately Aww. came on to be, uh, to be uh,
1: Edward. Edward, yeah. Edward. Team Edward. Wow.
0: Yeah.
1: Oof, gosh.
0: So in uh, the third task, the animated hedges were based on Stanley Kubrick's abandoned ideas for the hedge, ma- hedge maze sequence in The Shining, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, apparently, I guess he thought he had more ideas for the hedges to move and do kind of crazy stuff. Which eh. oh,
1: here's a me fact: I've never seen that.
0: Well, we'll have to do it. Well, I know it. That's why move, I'm not. Formalized. I'm not watching it yeah. because
1: we're gonna have to do it.
0: <laughs> and then another fun fact on top of that: The Shining obviously was written by Stephen King. As mm-hmm. Everybody, most mm-hmm. people are aware, uh, and he's an avid fan of Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling because talent respects talent. <laughs> Skill, respect, skill. Uh, this is the first movie that doesn't show the Dursleys, and I forgot about this. And No, I didn't. I did remember. I, I thought I remembered that they moved Harry's nightmare where he or not nightmare, but the scene where he remember or where he's dreaming. Uh, uh-huh. And when we see the whole thing at the.
1: Yeah, at the Riddle House. The Riddle
0: House. And then Harry wakes up and his scar hurts. I was like, I think that happens at the Burrow. Mm -hmm. In the movie, which it does. Whereas in the book, it happens. I don't remember this at all. I I thought I remembered that. So they skipped the entire Dursley sequence. And then one of the and and it wasn't necessarily on purpose. They wanted to include that. Uh, But the Dursleys, (laughs) the actors, uh, thought they weren't getting paid enough. So they were they tried to negotiate for more money. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, well, we'll just cut you.
1: That is Savage.
0: It is, but it's funny because I'm like, how could they have possibly had enough time to include anything yeah. at the Dursleys? Yeah. We're already at two and a half hours, and we already cut so much. I know. Having anything at the Dursleys seems like a nightmare. But that being said, there are some very specific elements that happen while he's at the Dursleys uh-huh. that I wished were in the movie as I was rereading. I'm like, oh, I wish that was That's really good. <laughs> we'll talk about it. A couple, uh, three more. Rosamund Pike. His first choice for the role of Rita Skeeter. Amy. Yeah, Amy herself uh, first role, but she turned it down. Hmm. Lord knows why.
1: I mean, Rita Skeeter though. Rosamund Pike would have been pretty young, right? Like fairly young. I
0: would guess she'd been in. I mean, not not a kid, but early thirties, late twenties, maybe early. Because
1: I I always imagined Rita Skeeter as like a solidly middle aged.
0: Yeah, in my head. In
1: her 40s. Yeah, I
0: didn't necessarily. In my head, she was like mid 30s to early 40s. Mm. So I I could have seen Rosamund Pike do it. I mean, because I I think Emma Thompson at the time she played Trelawney wasn't as old as I kind of imagined Trelawney to be. Like, I always kind of imagined Trelawney as like early 50s. And I think Emma Thompson at the time was probably like at most early 40s. Yeah. If I had to guess. But all right, last two. Uh,. So, they used a digital spot-removing technique, which had been used previously in television shows like Desperate Housewives, uh, in post-production to clear up some of the more severe teen acne and skin (laughs) problems. Because they tried makeup, Uh and it didn't look good on camera. (laughs) So they did it digitally after the fact. They're like, yeah, yeah, acne is a little too bad, Hermione, or whoever. (laughs) And so they just Hmm. did... Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that.
1: I You know... I get it. But also, we could just leave it. They're supposed to be 14. To be
0: fair, to be fair, I just we just read, I've just not too recently read about the Boba tuber pus that they use to clear up acne. Clear up
1: acne, yeah. So
0: in within canon in the books, (laughs) they have a magic spell that gets rid of their acne. (laughs) We got it too. It's called CGI. (laughs) So there you go. And then finally in the first draft of the script the subplot and this is a bit of a spoiler for again a couple things that we're going to touch on in the main episode but I thought this was interesting. The subplot featuring the Weasley twins and Ludo Bagman was in the script originally. Hmm. uh, And uh, they decided to cut it out.
1: You know I am realizing as I read this book like there are things that I absolutely remember that like I can't like, I can never re-experience the plot twist with who Professor Moody actually is. Yeah, right. But, like, there are other things. Like, it's been so long since I've read this book that I'm like, I don't remember why Ludo Bagman is relevant at all. Like, I don't remember what his subplot is. You don't? At all. I do. I do not remember oh, this. That's awesome.
0: But there are lots of, I've had lots of those moments where I'm like, oh, I forgot Winky was a character. Mm-hmm. Like, I like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. And like an important character who, spoiler, isn't in the movie, but we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, like there, there's lots of, because once we get to these bigger books where there's so much yeah. going on, yeah. it's just like, there's so many. You couldn't possibly remember, unless you're rereading them every year, you couldn't possibly remember every detail. Yeah, no. And it's because i used to i used to pride myself on knowing everything yeah, about this yeah on
1: all th- the harry potter trivia i
0: i used to i had, i had harry potter trivia board game and i used to <laughs> dominate at it um because i yeah i prided myself on knowing everything about these books and it and yeah it's just in the intervening 10 12 yeah, years yeah. or whatever i just haven't read them and uh i'm really enjoying rereading them and mm-hmm. uh so if in yeah, our coming trivia night, if there's a Harry Potter section, <laughs> we're gonna clean up. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, well, as long as it's from the first couple books. Yeah, the I first guess. four books at the
0: time, <laughs> five books.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it has been about because the the last book came out my senior year of high school, I think. Two thousand seven. Yeah, and uh, or two
0: thousand six, one of the two.
1: I'm in my ten year reunion year. Yeah. So.
0: No, it came out because I was in high school still, or maybe I was a freshman in college. One of the two. Mm-hmm. So it either came out in like 2000. It came out between 2006 and 2008. So it's been 10 years, 10 to yeah. 12 years. Uh, so, yeah, 10 years. And and I I think I, re- I reread them all once after seven, like mm-hmm. after seven came out and I read it. I think I reread them all again, at like once in like college. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't read them since then. I don't think so.
1: The later ones, I don't think I've read since they came out.
0: I know I reread all of the later ones at least once, but I think only once. So, like, like six, seven. Yeah. I know I reread five at least two or three times. But
1: so this will be an adventure.
0: It will be, and I'm excited. I will
1: get to re-find out why Ludo Bagman is relevant.
0: <laughs> it's it's it is a subplot that's not really important, but is interesting. I'll say that because uh, I do remember <laughs> why what what's going on there. But it's uh. It's 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 a bit of a red herring Mm -mm. to some extent. Okay, all right. It is. It's a bit of a red herring to kind of get us go. What's going on? And then. (laughs) So, So anyways, that is the prequel to the thirtieth episode, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That episode will be out one week from today. Until then, you can find us on all of the social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, Reddit. We have a subreddit. Uh, is how you can find us. Are this film is lit search this film is lit on any of the other social media platforms Katie posts lots of fun memes on Facebook <laughs> Twitter and Instagram uh, there are discussion threads on Reddit uh, which again it's pretty barren occasionally people post things but wouldn't hate if eventually we got more people on there if we have people who are on Reddit and wanted... it's a good place it's a good platform for discussion mm-hmm. because you can comment and respond and it doesn't go away and it doesn't you know doesn't get buried it's it's easy to go into the comments yeah. for an episode and, and look at stuff so Uh, check out our subreddit Uh, and as always guys, gals, non-binary and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and keep being awesome